All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Is our country really taking care of our veterans? That's, that's not just a question on the federal level, that's also a question on the state level. That's what we're going to be discussing here today on Making the Argument with Nick Freitas. And we also have an incredibly special guest and that is former Colonel Daniel Gade, who has done a great deal of work. He's going to tell you about his story. If you haven't met Daniel, if you don't know his story, I am telling you, you're going to want to hear it because this is a person that not only believes in this issue with respect to taking care of veterans, and not only believes in it because he is a veteran, but this is someone that has, has actually endured great personal sacrifice. His family has endured a great deal of sacrifice in service to this country. And nobody would have blamed him if we would have come back home and just decided to kind of you know, go into private life and, and never again address some of these issues, right? He has nothing to prove to anybody. His family has nothing to prove to anybody, but that is not what the Gade family has done. Daniel has really stood up. He has been a leader and an advocate for other veterans, and we're going to talk today about the various things that we need to do, some of the things we're doing wrong, some of the things that we can do better, and some of the huge opportunities that we have to be able to take care of our veterans, all coming up today on Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right, Daniel, thanks for coming on, brother. It's great to see you again. Yeah, it's uh, super great to be on with you, Nick. I love the new beard. Uh, let's keep that going until it gets real long. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I grew this out. In fact, uh, Tina, my, my wife, has given me notification that uh, the, the beard... The beard may have a shelf life coming up here pretty soon, so we're, we're, still, we're still negotiating the terms of my beard surrender at this point, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, That's awesome. That's listen, awesome. I, I want... I want the audience to have an opportunity right now to learn a little bit. I, I want to talk about the book that you, you've just done because I think it's really important. You, you have some concepts in there and you have some ideas in there that people really need to understand because one of the things I've noticed is that pretty much universally across the board, with, with very few exceptions, people care about our veterans. They care about our active duty service members. Um, they, they recognize that they sacrifice a lot to serve our country, especially when we're talking about you know, the longest war in U.S. history. We have multiple generations. This, this is one of the... I mean, you, you could argue it's one of the first wars where people that were born after September 11th right. happened were then able to go and serve in Afghanistan. That's right. I mean, that's, that's just that's an right. incredible concept. But the way we identify or the way we, let's say, the way we've measured success in a lot of our veterans programs are, are a little bit off. So what I want to do is first tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your personal story, and then let's, let's dive into the book. Yeah, totally. So uh, I know, and I know that you have a, uh, a nationwide audience on this podcast, which is totally awesome. And the people from Virginia, I hope, know me. Um, but I, I uh, so I enlisted in the army when I was seventeen as a private in the Army Reserve um, in North Dakota, where I where I was born. And 
uh, you know, did basic training and stuff like that. And then I got into West Point the next year. And so I went off to West Point and graduated from there in 1997 and then was an armor officer in the army. Um, actually you talked about September 11th on September 11th, I was a captain, uh, at ranger school. Uh, I, I decided not to go. I'd sort of chickened out as a Lieutenant. And then I went as a captain and on September 10th is when I started. And then, so, so basically I went into ranger school in a world at peace and came out in a world at war. Um, and then I, you know, I had orders to Korea. So I went off to Korea and was commander of a tank company in Korea. And in spring of 04, my boss and his boss came to me and they said, Hey, Daniel, um, not a loyalty test, but, but, uh, your unit, we're going to deploy your company to Iraq. Do you want to go with them or not? And I literally looked at them and I said, here, my Lord sent me from Isaiah six verse eight. And so they did. Um, I went to a place called Ramadi West of Baghdad and it was a terrible, terrible place. Got there in August of late August of 2004 and, uh, was wounded in action November 10th, 04, uh, by a rocket propelled grenade, which hit my tank and killed my loader, a guy named Dennis Miller from LaSalle, Michigan, killed him instantly, um, wounded me very mildly, just shrapnel in my face and, and arm. Uh, and I was returned to duty. And then, uh, which means I was back at work the next day for people who aren't military people. So, uh, and then two months later I was hit by a roadside bomb. I was leading a patrol in my Humvee and, and, uh, my Humvee was hit by this roadside bomb and, and, um, I ended up losing my entire right leg, uh, spent basically three weeks unconscious in the hospital and another five months as an inpatient in the hospital where I had like 40 surgeries. And that's, that's actually kind of where this, where the book starts. So the book is called wounding warriors and you can read a couple of chapters at woundingwarriors.com. Um, here's the, here's what the cover looks like. Here's the cover. Um, but the, the book sort of starts there because a, a couple of things happened to me when I was in the hospital that I think are very interesting. The first one was that my wife, we'd been married about five years. We had a two and a half year old daughter and she came to me very early and, and she said, look, I'll take care of everything. I got it. She's like, I'll, I'll take care of our daughter. I'll take care of our taxes. I'll don't worry about paying the bills. I got everything. But as soon as you're able, it's your job to lead our family. And so you're going to be in charge. So I want you to get better as fast as you can. And then I'm going to turn the reins back over to you. And what that did for me was very, very powerful, Nick, because it gave me, um, it, it reestablished in me, I would say, a sense of purpose and direction that otherwise could have could have gone away. Because there I was with a very serious disability. I mean, I was in a, I was in a power wheelchair for months because I had nerve how, how damage in my hands. How old were you at this time? I, I turned thirty in the intensive care unit at Walter Reed. Um, happy birthday to me. <laughs> so, um, I'd only been conscious again for like literally a week when, uh, when I, when I, uh, had my birthday. So, so, so reestablishing that sense of purpose and motivation for me was very powerful. But at the same time, I saw in my fellow wounded guys uh, and gals, something else that was much darker. And that was that many of them, not all, but many we're beginning to, their identities were shifting from, you know, when you're on the battlefield, you're this powerful, motivated, mission-oriented team team concept person. And then if something bad happens and you're off the battlefield, whether, whether illness, injury, or wounds, all of a sudden, um, these people were in a state of dependence and they were embracing it. They were beginning to walk around saying things like, oh man, how much disability can I get? You know, how much free stuff can I get? Can I get a house? Can I get a car? Can I get tickets to the Super Bowl? 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with houses and cars and tickets to the Super Bowl. But what is really disturbing was that in 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 in, in hugging that stuff, what they were doing is um, shifting their identities from from uh, be, you know this sort of powerful other oriented to this sort of weak self oriented. And I didn't at the time I, I observed this and it horrified me. But I was so concerned and sort of caught up with you know, my own recovery that I didn't really dwell on it much. And I didn't yet have the academic tools to understand exactly what was going on. So, but I stayed, I decided to stay in the army. It's a long story and I'll, I'll give you the wave tops version here. Um, and, but I had orders already to go to grad school. And so a year to the day after I got blown up, I started grad school, you know, brand new prosthetic, you know, still very skinny and weak, but, um, but, uh, started grad school. And that's in public policy. And that's when I began to gather the tools to understand that what was happening was these folks were just responding to the incentives that were given to them, that they were just uh, doing what any um, uh, rational economic man, we, we call that guy homo economicus, yeah. <laughs> what homo economicus would do is what they were doing. And the problem was, the problem isn't, was the problem was never the free stuff. The problem was that the free stuff was stripping away identity, particularly from these men that were in this situation. I'll come back to that in a sec. So then I finished my master's degree, and then I and then I got a cold call on my phone to go to uh, from the Bush administration at the very end of the Bush administration. If you remember back in '07, there was the famous Walter Reed scandal, and they needed somebody to come do uh, White House domestic policy work in veteran space. And so I did, um, I, I went and, and they asked me to do it and I did it and it was phenomenal. But so I, so I go from having this user level knowledge of wounded warrior policy to at the very highest level, I've got the white house level, uh, knowledge of it. And then uh, a year later I went back and, and, uh, got my, it started to started my PhD and then ended my career, um, teaching public policy and political science and things, uh, at West point. Uh, so, so that's basically the the wave tops of my professional life. And yeah. during that time, I was able to really begin to understand these systems that are making, as the subtitle of the book is, how uh, they're making our veterans sicker and poorer. That's so. That's interesting because you, you know you talk about this idea, and look, everybody wants to help, right? Everybody wants to be able to provide assistance, and there's that's wonderful and beautiful and altruistic, and everything's nice. And there's nothing wrong with actually receiving the help. But right. I think you're, what you're talking about, and, and I saw it as well on a, on a much, um, you know, kind of more of a minor level, but I think it was more on with respect to the, the VA side of this. And, and what I saw that horrified me was there seemed to be this conscious effort. It, it, wasn't, just, um, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just an unintended consequence of otherwise good and, and noble intentions. When I saw a member of the VA get up, or, or a representative from the VA get up when, when we were separating out of the military. And I, I left the military after 11 years active duty. I had two combat tours over in Iraq with First Special Forces Group. You know, but again, I, I, never, I never had a circumstance where, you know, I, I was wounded. So right, I, I wasn't right. blown up. I and mean, we, we got in our, our fair share of scuffles, but I, I, never got, I never got wounded. And this guy is standing up there in front of us and, and in this, this, this room, and he's, and he's saying... 100%, right? That's your goal. That's your goal. 100%. Right. You know, your knees hurt. You can't hear right. You know, and he starts going off of all these things, these ailments that he wants you to claim. He's not asking you if you have these ailments. 
He's treating this as if this is just part of the process. And, and you're watching some of these, these soldiers, especially these younger ones, look at this going, oh, I, I guess this is just the way it is. And then you've got some of our, the older guys in the room who, who have done multiple combat tours, who have had friends get killed, had friends get seriously wounded, go, hey, wait a second. This isn't some bottomless pit of money. We're talking, right. about, we're talking about there are guys that are seriously wounded, seriously hurt for life that need this care. And now you're, you're, you're encouraging everyone here to essentially you know, make claims that at best are dubious, if not outright false, because you're gaming the system, because you know if I take my hearing test, or if I know I say my back hurts or my knee hurts, that they're pretty much gonna automatically grant me some additional funding, whether or not it's true. Right? right, and, and that's what that was the part that shocked me. It wasn't the idea that, you know, again, it wasn't the idea that somebody was donating or or that a wounded veteran was going on a on a all expense hunting trip. You know, fine, I get all of that. It was this this concerted effort by some to move a a wounded veteran or a veteran dealing with PTSD. You know, which is a, you know it, into a wound. state of dependency. Yes, into a it, state of dependency. Yeah, like yes. it was an active so goal. It is an active goal. So, so when I retired from the army, I retired as a Lieutenant Colonel in 2017 and all the same things, you have to go through all the same things. And I, I had to sit down with the VA guy and he was like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I pre-filled out, I, I looked, looked over your medical records and I pre-filled out your disability thing. And, and I look at it and there's like tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. There's uh, brain injury, there's a uh, hearing loss, there's back pain and all this. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. Um, I don't have a brain injury. And he goes, well, but you were unconscious for several weeks. And I go, well, true. But uh, since then, I've got a master's and a PhD. I've taught at West Point. I worked at the White House. Like, I don't have a brain injury. He, he goes, he goes, listen, man, you're not understanding me. He's like, I can get you paid for it. And I go, you listen to me. You're not understanding me. I'm not going to claim something that is not true. You know? And then he's like, fine, whatever, dude. And then we go to the next one. It's like tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, which, by the way, um, th this is a true story. It's going to blow your mind. You, you probably know this, but it's going to blow everybody else's mind. When you're driving down the road and you see a disabled veteran license plate, what you're thinking of when you think of who might be operating that vehicle, you're thinking of somebody with blindness, burns, uh, spinal cord injury, or amputation, right? Those are sort of the four things that people think of when they think of a disabled veteran. The number one thing that the VA rated people for last year is ringing in the ears, for which, get this, there is no diagnostic test at all. It's There's no test. The only test is the audiologist says to you, hey, veteran, um, do your ears ring? And you're like, oh, yeah, doc, they bother me terrible. It, that's all you got to do to get a 10% disability from the VA. It's insanity. It's so ripe for abuse. Um, another one that people don't know about is that sleep apnea, which is the fastest growing condition in America, and it's only and is related. It's related to three things. Number one is being male. Number two is having a skinny neck circumference, and number three is being obese. Um, sleep apnea is a fifty percent disability in the VA, which is more than an, a, a below knee amputation. It's more than loss of an eye. It's a little less than above knee amputation, which is a sixty percent disability by itself. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the sort of logical constructs that you're talking about. So. So anyway, so I say, I don't have tinnitus. I don't have hearing loss. I don't have a brain injury. I'm willing to claim, by the way, and I did claim the things that were combat caused conditions, right? I've got nerve damage in my hand and remaining in hands and remaining foot. Um, some, you know, pretty horrible scarring all over my body. Um, and then, and then obviously the amputation and I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, fine. 
from a moral point of view, I'm okay with the morality of that. Yeah. But what I'm not okay with the morality of is being trapped in a system or being um, a party to a system that is uh, basically taking money out of my fellow citizens' pockets for stuff that is routine conditions of aging. Yeah, my back hurts sometimes, but it's because I'm 46, not because I got blown up one time. Well, um, and, I, anyways, and I think this, I, think yeah. that I just want to, I want to cut in real quick because I want to make sure that everyone understands what it is we're saying. And I, I also want people to understand yeah. why it is we're the ones saying it. it. It's because there's a lot of people that, if you're just looking at this and you're looking at the numbers, like, again, nobody would have imagined that sleep apnea get, gets more of a, a disability number than an amputation below the knee. But that's the reality. And, and it right. actually requires guys like you who are willing to step up and say, look, there is something wrong with the system that is essentially prioritizing this over the sort of things that all of us kind of understand. And, and, and again, this is nothing, nothing in this is about trying to dissuade a veteran to, you know, suck it up and drive on, right? Well, this is about, no, you, you are entitled to the VA benefits um, that, that you signed on for with respect to injuries sustained in, in you know, carrying out your duties in combat, whatever it is, right, we right. want you to get that. This is more about understanding a basic reality that one of the reasons why the VA is broke, one of the reasons why we're having these problems, it is because the people that need it the most can't get access to it because you have, in my opinion, government bureaucrats actively working to encourage people to game the system. And that's what we're that's what we're rebelling against. So th this is not a this is not a critique yeah. on veterans. This is critique on a system that would turn the men and women that we serve with, that we know are, are are brave, that are willing to step up, that are warriors, that are fighters, that are productive, that are patriotic, that would turn them into dependents. That's what we're rebelling against right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the subtitle of the book is is not uh, how bad veterans are screwing their fellow citizens. Yeah, it's not about veterans. It's this this book is about how bad policy is making veterans worse off. So, yeah. um, I'll I'll give you a, a a kind of a a sequel to what I was just talking about and what you were just talking about, and I think a little finer point on it. The system right now is not working. The system is making veterans see themselves as worthless. Because here's how this works. If you pay somebody more to be sicker, then they will adopt their sickest selves. And as they embrace their sickest selves, they begin to believe that they are sick. They begin to project to everybody else that they are sick, and people begin to treat them as sick. And we all know that people who are sick are objects of pity. And if you, if you load somebody up with a load of pity, what happens is they begin to feel worthless. And we know that suicide is a disease of despair. People who, people who are hurting themselves are doing it largely out of a sense of despair. And so we have a system, well-intentioned, designed to be helpful, designed to love veterans, which is resulting in veterans being worse off and hurting themselves. And we have a veteran suicide crisis at the same time as we're paying veterans to exit the labor market, to feel sick, to feel worthless, and we shouldn't be surprised. And there's a better way. And that's what we need to be working on is is finding a better way. And in, in the epilogue of, of Wounding Warriors, you know, this book, this book is very interesting. Um, I've got a co-author who's an investigative journalist. He's a beautiful writer. Uh, when you read the book, you'll see that the uh, intro or prologue one is, is written by me and the epilogue is clearly written by me. And I have a lot of influence throughout the book, but the actual prose is him and it's beautiful. It's very readable. It's, it relays the stories of of veterans and their process through their service and then after service and some of that stuff. 
Um, but in the epilogue, I lay out a couple of principles that we can use as a society to get to a place where veterans are actually thriving. And it's pretty simple. Um, the first principle is this. Instead of saying everything is a disability, we should realize that um, that aging is happening to all of us. And just because we're not the same as we were when we were 20 doesn't mean that we're disabled. And we should reject that label uh, for anything other than truly disabling conditions. Tinnitus, sleep apnea, uh, you know, acne, these are not disabilities. These are life conditions. And we should be aware of that. So that we need to redefine disability. Number two is we need to put work at the center of what we're doing for our veterans. And, and what I mean by that is this. Last time you were on a plane, which probably was a while because of COVID and everything, but last time you're on a plane, you sit down next to somebody and they say, you know, if you're going to have a conversation with somebody or you're reaching out to somebody, you say, hey, what is it you do for a living? And the reason why is because men especially are defined by their work. And so work is central to a man's identity. Women are, are blessed by being able to get their, to help derive their identity from, from work, marriage, and children, if any. Um, but men are like work only. And so uh, we need to put, as we're thinking about how to help veterans thrive, we need to put work at the center of that. And we need to reward behaviors that we want to see. Um, we need to incentivize things that we want to see. And I, you know, I, I, I jokingly tell people like, I have a PhD in policy and that's fine. I'll give you a PhD in policy right now. You basically have one already, by the way. But um, here's a PhD in policy. If you want more of something, incentivize it. If you want less of something, tax it. Not hard, right? Mm -hmm. So if we want to see veterans thrive, if we want to help veterans to have better lives for themselves and their families and their communities, then we need a better policy that promotes those things. And that's really what this is about. I have a deep and abiding love for veterans, for service, for sacrifice. Um, and I find it horrifying that their service sacrifice and, and, um, you know, li livelihood basically is dishonored by some of the current systems we have that make them sicker and poor. Well, and, and I think it's interesting to talk about that because I, I think that what people want to display is gratitude. And then mm -hmm. in, in, inevitably they, they end up displaying in some cases pity. And my mm -hmm. wife actually wrote an article on this once and she was talking about the difference when I was deployed and one of my kids would be, you know, wearing a shirt that, you know, my daddy is in the army or, or whatnot. And she goes, there was two types of people that came up to me. One sort of person would come up and say, thank you guys so much for your service. You know, we're praying for all these, these uh, men and women over there. We want, you know, we want them to come home safe. And there was other people that come up and be like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. You know, when mm -hmm. does he come home? Mm -hmm. I can't believe they're all over there. And she goes, one of those was gratitude and one of those was pity. She goes, I don't need your pity. She goes, right. this, we didn't get tricked into this. We didn't get, you know, we, we didn't get forced into this. this. This was a decision we only, we not only made, uh, you know, as, as, you know, her, in that case, you know, me as, a, as someone enlisting, but as a family on the sort of life that we were going to lead. And, and I think that's, that's an, another important component too. When we look at all of this with, with respect to veterans, when we, when we talk about, you know, men and women that wore the uniform that are now transitioning in and their families. And, and, that's right. you know, and, and your, your wife is a wonderful representation of this of someone that says, look, I'm, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to support you. However, right. I, I'm helping you get through this because you still got things to do. Right. And, right. and exactly. I, one of the things I've always said before is one person might deploy, but the whole family goes to war. That's right. And, and the more that we can, the more that we can ensure, and, and I know that that's been an important part for me, for so many of my other, you know, fellow combat veterans is part of that transition was understanding that 
okay, the mission over there might be over for me. That doesn't mean my mission's over. It, it doesn't mean the responsibilities I have ended. And, and uh, you know, again, men and women both, when they come out of the military, they're feeling this equally. And it's about where do I find, um, you know, how do I continue to find that meaning, that purpose, that drive to continue to go out there and do things. And when we talk about the importance of work, a, a lot of people come in and they want to caricature that. They, they either want to say, oh, well, you're just focused on, you know, you're just focused on men or you're just focused on women or you're just focused on work because you think it's good for the economy. When it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Yes, it's work is good for the economy, but work is good for us as individuals because mm -hmm, we, get, totally. we get value and and out of being able to demonstrate our abilities and our creativity and to do it in a productive way because good work is work that serves both yourself and your family and serves other at the same time. And, and there's there's so much psychological value beyond just the the bare economic value of it. And and again, it, men and women need that. You know, we as human beings need that. So as you talk about some of these issues that you've identified at the federal level, and obviously there's a lot of state programs, Virginia, as you know, because you've, you've been very active in this with Virginia veterans or, or Virginia values veterans. We have a lot of state different programs that we're trying to implement. Um, you know, you, you've been an advisor um, with uh, Glenn Youngkin mm -hmm. with respect to not only you know, helping him uh, articulate and identify veterans' issues and and help with the policy component of that. But now also, you know, there's a transition taking place um, where some really important decisions are going to be made. I'm I'm still the co-chair for the Military and Veterans Caucus in the Virginia House of Delegates, um, along serving with Bryce Reeves, who's the uh, Senate uh, co-chair. There's going to be a lot of important decisions. So here here's what I would ask you: a as we go forward. Um, we've identified some of the problems. We've identified some of like the, the kind of the philosophical mindset that is infecting what might otherwise be you know, good intentions and, and good uh, policy. What do we need to do? Maybe, you know, obviously there's a lot from the federal side and, and some from the state side. What, what are a couple of things that you would say right off the bat, hey, these are things that we have to, we have to implement if we're serious about taking men and women that have served and, and valuing their service not by pitying them, not by treating them right. like victims, but by helping them to once again to be able to live free, pursue happiness, and continue to serve their families, their their you know, and their country. How do how do we, what are some things that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, so I was uh, honored to be uh, on Glenn Youngkin's uh, campaign. Now, Governor Elect Youngkin, I can't call him Glenn anymore, but um, <laughs> so so I was on his campaign as a as sort of director of coalitions. And during that time, I was also an advisor on the veteran side. And one thing I would say about uh, Governor Elect Youngkin is that he he really does deeply care about um, about veterans and about making Virginia the best place for veterans to live, work, and raise a family, as he as he commonly says. And and during during the campaign, he promised basically three things. And the the first one was that people who are retiring here. And by the way, there's about forty five or fifty thousand people who leave military service every year in Virginia. There's about two hundred fifty thousand uh, nationwide, but about fifty thousand or forty thousand who leave service from in Virginia. And many of those, because of the Pentagon, because of the headquarters Marine Corps at, at Quantico, and because of you know the significant naval presence um, in Tidewater. You have a lot of, of people who've served a full 20-year or more career who are retiring here. And so the first thing that, that uh, Governor-elect Youngkin has, has promised to work with y'all on uh, is to pass legislation making uh, cutting taxes on military retirement pay. Um, the first 10000 uh, in the first year and then uh, eventually getting all the way up to, uh, to $40,000. 
and that'll take a while. And it's a, it's a, you, you know, we've got to figure out the budgetary uh, pieces of that. But the truth is that our neighboring states, so North Carolina, Tennessee, you know, all of those, uh, I think even, even Maryland doesn't tax military retired pay. And so there's a lot of people who are like, wait a second, that's a major difference in my um, take home income. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to work across the border, North Carolina and commute into, you know, Southern part of Virginia, for example. And that happens a lot. And I've heard from some of those people. So that's one is to cut taxes on military retired pay Two, this directly relates to to uh, federal policy, actually, which is to help veterans get access to the benefits they have earned. You know, we can we could talk about at the federal level reshaping benefits and making them work better for veterans. But there's also a component of accessing what exists. And so uh, the governor has the soon to be governor has promised to um, double the number of of veteran the people who are handling veterans claims for them, the state employees who are handling veterans claims for them, double those. And then the third part, and I think this is the most innovative and interesting and really goes directly to the core of what we've been talking about, which is to make it easier for veterans to um, start small businesses by by cutting some of the red tape, by cutting some of the regulations, by offering tax incentives and that kind of thing. And that's really, to me, that's the really the, the neatest part of this, because what that does is allows those veterans to, to stay in Virginia and to become engines for their um, for their families initially as their business is very small and then some of those businesses will thrive and there'll be engines for their communities. And I think that's a huge, uh, a huge part of this. And, and so, you know, we, we really need Virginia to be the place that, that veterans want to come to instead of a place that veterans are, are trying to avoid. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I love that last part. I know that myself, Senator Reeves, we've, we've worked on legislation before trying to make it easier to for, for both our university system and for like DPOR, our Department of Occupational Licensing and, and things like that, to, to really understand that when a veteran is, is um, transferring from the military, being honorably discharged, um, like you said, there, there's because of the Pentagon, because of Marine Corps headquarters, because of Norfolk, because of all this area, a lot of these guys retire here in Virginia. And the question is, is mm-hmm. are you going to stay or are you going to leave? And, and what's going to incentivize you to stay? And one of the things that we thought was the most valuable was how do we get one our university system? Because we have one of the highest percentages of veteran populations under the age of 40. So these are people that have not retired, right? Maybe they did eight years. T- I did 11, right? Maybe they did something like that. And right, now they're right. looking for a different career. And one of the frustrating parts for us is a lot of your university systems, and, and part of this is the accreditation process, they'll look at something like, so we both went to ranger school. Right. So they went to ranger school, and they, or they'll look at a ranger school thing on your, on your, your you know, uh, DD-214, and they'll say, okay, uh, PE. Like, okay. Right. <laughs> no, that's not, that is a management course, all right? Oh, it was PE, all right. It, it, there was some it physical was, education. Yeah, but it, but it was, you know, but they look at that, they, they, they throw it into the easiest category possible. I had a really good friend of mine do a TED talk on this where he said, at 22 years old, I was a Green Beret in Mosul leading an operation that had three different agencies, or excuse me, four different agencies, three of them Iraqi, right? One law enforcement, one military, one militia, and, and I'm doing all this, and there's no way to capture that with respect to my That's education right. or, or work experience. Same thing with, you know, you, you get guys that, um, you know, have this really, really unique work experience within the military that doesn't qualify with respect to getting their license when they're trying to do some sort of commercial version of that. And, but again, a lot of that is, is how do we make it as easy as possible for a qualified person to be able to come right in and get to work, start that small business? I just talked to a gentleman the other day. He's doing this with getting veterans involved in agriculture. 
Um, mm-hmm. And and I think what again what I what I love about the ideas that you you've put forward is that this is not about creating another huge bureaucracy that is going to try to place people. It's more about getting people connected with other people, entrepreneurs, business owners, um, you know, inventors, whatever it is, so that you know they're looking for employees. I mean, you talk about the the labor shortage right now. They're looking for people that have a sense of teamwork, that have proven that they can operate in difficult conditions, that they understand what hard work is, that, that they, they understand about having a mission and driving toward it. My gosh, it's just about facilitating that link up in so many cases. Uh, but instead, you know, again, we have this perverse incentive policy where it's like, no, 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 stay there, do as little as possible because you're a victim. And, and, as, long right, as, you, right, right. and as long as you agree to remain a victim, we'll keep the checks coming. But the moment yeah. you want to step up and do something, well, then now all of it, now we got to reevaluate that, and that's I think that's hugely problematic. Well, yeah, exactly. And there's some really cool things that uh, that Governor Elect Youngkin can do in his administration. So you know, of course, there's the the Secretariat for Veterans and Defense Affairs or Military Affairs, but there's also you know the Secretary of Agriculture, right? And there's so many veterans who are interested and in, who are qualified with a little bit of on-the-job training to be people who could uh, be the next generation of, of farmers in Virginia. Because we know the average age of a farmer in Virginia is about 62 years old, I think. It might even be older than that. And so there's a lot of those folks who have been farmers for generation or for a generation. Their children don't want to do it, but there's a whole bunch of veterans who might be well-suited to that. And there's some, there's some really cool grant programs, so USDA and stuff like that. So there's a nice linkage there. And it just is going to take some creativity to work across the agencies of state government to make sure that uh, that the veterans are given every opportunity. And the the programs are very complex. And so this is a chance for for some clear thinking and some policy oriented um, work to try to help set veterans up for success. Well, listen, Dan, I want to I want to thank you again for taking the time to, to not only for all the time that you put into your service to the country, but now your service after combat and, and, and really trying to take care of our veterans in a way that I think get, gets far more to the root of the issue that we're trying to address. Um, tell us again, give us again the, the title of the book and where people can find it. Yeah, totally. So I'll just hold it up for you here. The book is called Wounding Warriors, How Bad Policy is Making Veterans Sicker and Poorer. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Audible. Um, if you want a signed copy, though, you've got to uh, order it on woundingwarriors.com. I'll send you a signed copy. And, and this, again, this book is really, again, woundingwarriors.com, but the book is really about how veterans can thrive and, and lead their families, lead their communities, um, and be valuable assets to, to the country as they were in service after their service, and obviously informed by my own um, unique experiences. So um, this is a book about love. It's a book about how our country can love its veterans better. Um, so that's how they find that. And um, uh, I, I really super appreciate you having me on to talk about this stuff. Well, and I'm going to encourage everybody because, you know, in, in, uh, inevitably within my feed on Facebook or Twitter or social media or whatnot, and I'm sure you're, you're on social media as well. Um, well, I, well, I know you're on social media because I follow you there. <laughs> but um, we, have, we have people that will talk about things like 22 veterans a day. And so what I want to say to all those people that, you know, I, I can't think – I can't thank the American public enough for, for the support and the encouragement that they've given. I, I will never forget coming back from my second tour in Iraq and landing at the airport and, and getting out of that plane. It was a stopover before we made it back to Fort Lewis. And as soon as we got off that plane, it was lined with Vietnam veterans. Mm-hmm. And they were there to give us the welcome home that they never received. 
So we, right. we have an opportunity right now. I think, I think America has learned so many things from some of the problems of the past on, on how we treated our veterans because our Vietnam veterans were treated atrociously. And they've been critical in making sure that we were not treated that way. But the next step now is for our generation of veterans to stand up and do what you're doing, Daniel. So I can't thank you enough for this. I'm going to tell everybody, when I, when I see those things come up, right, and we're talking about veteran suicide, we're, we're talking about veterans' benefits, it, it's not good enough to just say this is a problem. Now let's go run a 5K. Don't, I'm, I'm not denigrating running the 5K. Right. But right. if we really want to get to the heart of this, then I, I, we need people. We need advocates. We don't just need policymakers or veterans like Daniel and myself. We need people to actually read this book and understand what is going on and understanding the ways that we can improve upon it so that when you are calling your congressperson or your delegate or your state senator or your governor's office, you're not just calling saying, this is a problem, I demand you do something. You're actually mentioning real problems and real solutions that have been vetted by people like Daniel Gabe that have been through this process in the most intimate way you can possibly imagine, having lost his own leg in service, having seen it from the public policy perspective, is now willing to step up and continue to serve in this capacity to make sure that we, we improve upon this system in a way that desperately needs to be accomplished. All right, so if you really want to know how you can help, understand the nature of the problems. Understand the practical solutions. Daniel's done all that for you in WoundingWarriors.com. Go to that website, check that out, order this book, read it, understand it, so that you can be informed when you are advocating on behalf of the people that need it and on behalf of the people that you care, so that we don't treat them like victims. We treat them like what they are, warriors that serve this country and want to continue to serve, men and women that we owe a debt of gratitude to, but want to continue to be a part of their community in not only a, a practical way, but in a meaningful way. And this is one of the ways that we can accomplish that. Daniel Gabe, thank you very much for your service to your country. Thank you very much for your continued service to veterans, both across the country and here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm hoping we're going to see a lot more of you during this next General Assembly session. I know myself, Great. Senator Reeves, as uh, chairs on the Military and Veterans Caucus, we're going to be looking at legislation that we can make a lot of these ideas a reality. I, I really want to. I really want to see you there when we're having those Military and Veterans Caucus meetings, so we can sp discuss specifically how we craft this legislation. How do we get it through the legislature? How do we get it signed into law? And then going back and looking how, how is it how is it accomplishing the goals that we've set out? So, again, WoundedWarriors.com. Um, go to that right now. Order this book. It's a great Christmas present, right? Um, and once again, Danigade, thank you very much to you and your family for your service to this country, your continued service. Have a great Christmas, great New Year, and again, can't thank you enough for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have today. Thank you very much for joining us on Making the Argument. Make sure you go on there, leave us a review, click on there, let us know what other topics that you want to cover. For the next several weeks, one of the things we're really going to focus on is, um, you know, What's going on in Virginia? Because it's not just relevant to Virginia. It's relevant about what's going on across the country. We're, we're starting to watch a resurgence, a movement with respect to certain policies, ideas, and philosophies of governance make a comeback. And we're going to talk about, okay, what does that mean at a practical level? All right? it, again, it's great to talk about the philosophy. I love to talk about the philosophy. But once the voters have actually put you in a position to accomplish something, you dang well better step up and actually do it. And so we're going to be talking a lot about what that means on a practical level for the next several weeks. And these are policies that we're going to be talking about that don't just affect Virginia. They affect the country as a whole. They affect your state. We're going to give you resources to talk to legislators in your state because if you like what we're talking about and you want to implement it there, do it. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas from Making the Argument. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next episode.
Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.